Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 163, and we're recording on th- Thursday. Thursday? <laughs> Thursday, July 23rd. That's like when you're extra enthused? Yeah, it's like Dr. Seuss week, Thursday. Uh, I'm Jeff O'Neill, I'm with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookride.com. Rebecca, how you doing? I'm good. I'm, you know, very Seussy right now. I have, like, highlighter pink hair at the mm. moment. Uh, so... <laughs> We've had a busy week. We're both a little shot already on Thursday Yeah, a little I bit. I kind of like it's pouring down rain here. Yeah. I just want to make coffee and curl up with a book and not like you're lovely, but I don't want to talk to anybody. No, I understand. I'm someone. Ergo, you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're so- just, Socrates it, proved that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, well, it's a rainy day here too. I got my coffee. Um, let's do our first sponsor, Casper. Ma- I, it's a t- it's a g- perfect timing because oh, we both want to go perfect. lay down on a mattress. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Casper mattresses back. They sponsored the show before. Good sponsor. Um, so like I said before, solving one of those problems, like the internet is magic for a lot of reasons and also terrible. But one of the reasons it's magic is it's helping us solve these problems that we, we just sort of felt like were part of our existence, uh, especially. Uh, if you are someone who buys mattresses, because you know you go into a mattress store, you, there's ten thousand of them. You maybe get a minute to try to a, a minute or two to try them on. Uh, yeah, try them on, yeah, because you wrap the mattress around to lay down hey, on them. A wearable mattress, a wearable is mattress, a million dollar yeah. Idea. I, actually, it's, I, it's, I'm going to mark that down as a business idea. Wearablemattress.co is probably available. Um, so you only get a minute or two. There's a whole bunch of them. Like the, the terminology is confusing. Like do you need a comfort queen uh, magic top or do you need a pro business premium ultra down comforter <laughs> deluxe? You know, which one of those do you want? Uh, this one's really good, but this one's actually really good too. And the price difference is only $10,000 between, you know, like it's a, it's a tough situation. You don't know. You're not, you're not familiar with the terms of art. Um, so it can be very difficult and it's very expensive. Casper says, hold on a second. It doesn't have to be that complicated. First of all, you spend a third of your life sleeping, so you want to make sure you have a better mattress. I think we all know that sort of implicitly. Like if you, if you can afford a premium mattress, you're spending a lot of time on there. So let's make sure it's a good one. But also, it doesn't have to be so complicated. So they, they what they did is they engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Latex foam and memory foam combined, they've just got the right amount of sink. And just the right amount of bounce, no matter how you sleep. So there's really just one model. You pick the size. That's all you're picking here. Because Casper thinks our mattress is so good that if you're a reasonable human with reasonable sleep needs, that this is going to be a great mattress for you at a great price. You're going to get a premium mattress at an unbelievable price. It's $500 for a twin mattress. And that's at the bottom end for the size. And $950 for a king-size mattress. And if you compare that to industry averages for even sort of regular mattresses, let alone premium one, you're going to see that's an unbelievable price point. And you can get $50 off any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash riot and using offer code riot. They ship it to you, right to you. You can try it free for 100 days. 
If you're not happy, you'll pick it back. Free trial and return policy because um, they know, you know, you want to be sure you got a good mattress. You're throwing down a chunk of change. It's not a joke. Um, they ship it to you. You can ship it back. Makes it super easy. Thanks so much to Casper for sponsoring the show. You know, little known perk of the Casper mattress is that since it comes packaged in a box yeah. instead of just out like a regular mattress, if you have tight staircases good or point. narrow Excellent hallways point. in your house, this is the thing to do, which I have just recently experienced this. We just put a, um, we switched around one of the rooms in our, the upstairs of our house to, it's no longer an office. Now it's a guest bedroom mm-hmm. and old staircases in old houses are not accommodating to carrying box springs up, right. which, you know, they don't bend at all. So it's like, aha, <laughs> Casper. Yes. That's very nice. Very, if, you, if you live in an apartment building elevator, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you have any experience trying to get a mattress up there, when we moved uh, our mattress out of our Brooklyn apartment, you know, our our queen size mattress and trying to get in the staircase. It was a disaster. Uh, anyway, Casper, thank you so much. Um, yeah. A lot of news this week. Big news. Yeah, we're going to kick off with our boy D. Brizzle. Dan, Dan Brown, uh, in, in one of the more unlikely pairings um, of stories, not in the same story, but Dan Brown and Michael Jordan both announced this week significant donations to bookish efforts. Uh, Dan Brown's is it's like something out of a Dan Brown novel, I'd say. It's perfect. So Dan Brown is – let's see. What's the, I'm going to butcher the name of this thing. Biblioteca uh, Philosophica. Biblioteca Philosophica, which is a, um, uh, uh, a library in Amsterdam that specializes especially in antique manuscripts and especially stuff about uh, mysticism and the occult, um, ancient philosophy. Anyway, it's 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 – they have a, there's a nice picture, and you can see that they have a whole bunch of interesting stuff, but it's very difficult for anyone who's not actually in the building to access it because it's you know physical copies. They have about 4,600 manuscripts that were printed before 1900. Um, so you know, alchemy, mysticism, uh, all kinds of interesting things in all kinds of interesting languages. Um, so the library hopes to have this core collection available online by next spring. Awesome. And, and the total number is 300,000. Pounds sterling, which, if my conversion is right, I think that's a. It's getting close to a quarter. Uh, excuse me, a half a million yeah. uh, U.S. American dollars, uh, standard international currency, the dollar, uh, as as I liked it. Ron Swanson would say. Um, <laughs> so very cool. I mean, and and it's not a uh, super sexy kind of donation. Uh, you know, it's it's not getting your name on a library at Harvard or something like that. Uh, it's also not a publicity kind of thing where. Or it's, it does not have the PR move, even even taking out sort of the value of side of like a James Patterson giving money to indie booksellers and stores, right? Like I think that's a valuable thing, but also has a lot of PR. Like there's a lot of buzz around that. Not a lot. This isn't going to go viral. Let's yeah, just say no, it that I way. think. This is basically a really generous thank you note. Yes. Typically, authors who do the kind of research that is required for books like what Dan Brown writes, they, you know, throw a line into their acknowledgments about like, thank you to the wonderful people at these archives or this library for all of the assistance that they gave me. But like Dan Brown has made lots of dollars, um, you know, as a result of all the research that he's done and the access that he's had to all of you know, these materials. And I think it's really cool to turn around and say, you know, this library formed the like pinnacle parts of my career and I'm going to give back to it. There's also a great video. Like I just, I love this stuff. There's a great video of Dan Brown appearing from behind a revolving bookcase in his house. Like, because of course Dan Brown has a revolving bookcase in his house, in his personal library. And he comes out from behind it and talks about how he's always been into ancient mysticism and 
you know, how wonderful the Ritman Library in Amsterdam is and what it was like embarking, what is it, embarking on a bold quest to digitize and preserve an enormous part of their collection. Um, the We'll have a link to the Guardian piece in the show notes, and that piece contains a link to the YouTube yes. uh, video where you can watch Dan Brown come out from behind his revolving bookcase. Uh, I'm going to gif that, maybe. Mm. <laughs> it's like just the most... It's been a week, Jeff, yes. and I just need to watch Dan Brown emerge from behind his bookcase. And rip for... off his suit uh, and dive into a pool and just sure. do some laps. I started thinking, like, what if this is just the beginning of Dan Brown donating to places that were significant in the making of mm. his body of work? Like, maybe he's going to restore A lot of grottos, artworks. a lot of yeah. uh, minor mm-hmm. um, Medici palaces that need restoration. Yes. You know, a lot of secret passageways that need, you know, to right. have electric like lights the put in them. Dan Brown global tour of yes. revitalization. Yes, 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 yes. Dan Brown's um, post hoc philanthropic scavenger hunt that's what i'm yeah. really looking for here yes that's what we need i would i would go on a dan brown scavenger absolutely. hunt so fast absolutely totally would uh, i mean that's what the books basically are uh in related news also michael jordan in in conjunction with a bunch of um charlotte north carolina businesses announced a 500,000 us dollar investment in literacy um Let's see. It, it spans a whole bunch of stuff. Cash for yeah, charities, but building and stocking 18 libraries with books at preschools, child care centers, community centers, and education nonprofits in the city's low-income areas. And that's double the amount that was given last year. So this is – apparently we missed this story last year. It was a quarter million mm-hmm. dollars. Um, it was part of the Charlotte Hornets, which is the basketball team Jordan is the general manager of and part owner. Um, it's one of their major projects. And he wanted to get – you know, one of his goals with the Hornets was to make a – connection with the community. Um, the community has included both high-profile grants and quiet anonymous gifts to causes big and small. Um, yeah, 18 new libraries. I know. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, um, let's see. I, I don't know what to Michael say Jordan. about that. I don't either. It's just They've got it's corporate partners. Like, I guess we should shout out Bank of America. Uh, let's see. Who else was on the, on the donor roll here? Lowe's uh, were the two that were mentioned in this particular article. Um, cool. That's great. Yeah, you know, speaking of libraries, I had I got several tweets last week from library listeners of the podcast librarians encouraging me to um, not be ashamed of my history of library fines. Yeah. So I am going later today to mm. like renew my vows to my local library. Are you gonna live stream it on uh, Facebook, Periscope, <laughs> Snapchat, could- Tumblr? I could Snapchat it. Yeah. Um, I feel so like I do feel bashful. Like I feel like I'm going to get that whole body flush thing when mm-hmm. I walk in the door and be like, oh, they just know. They know. Yeah, that, I know. You know, I once had a huge fine and I think I accidentally underlined some things in the library book. Well, you'll but just I'm have gonna... to do 10 Hail Marys. Right. And uh, yeah. You'll I'm going to tuck fine. my tail between my legs and I'm going to let my library envelop me into its warm embrace well, once now, again. I understand. Do you have outstanding fines or you just, you've paid them? I don't remember. You don't? Oh, I see. I see. It's the unknown. I see. I see. <laughs> right. right. I, I, I am like in the catastrophizing corner of my brain. I'm going to walk in and they're going to be like, you owe us $927. And, all, and, and I'm gonna, the guys in the yellow suits come out and handcuff you. Right. And, they, and I'm going to be like, oh, crap. I guess I have can to you pay not, that Can you now? not go online? And don't you have an on, Can you check online? You can't hear. It's been so many years. I don't even know how I would. Like, I don't You don't remember. have a library card. You don't have anything. 
No, I got like in my shame spiral. I like threw the little keychain from my library card away. You're like a ritual burning, like like breaking up with a Basically. boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Basically, yeah. this was like seven years ago, and I don't remember. My bookmarks are going in there. My library card. I'm burning all the. It's evidence. all going away. They can't get uh, me. I'm like Edward Snowden right. now. But like if I walk in and I owe them $927, yep. I can't just be like, peace. Yeah, yeah, you can. Just what, it'd be like Jason Bourne. Like you identify the exits, see which of the librarians look like, you know, you need to take out first. Like look, 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 see who knows how to handle themselves. A, incapacitate them first and then also see where the fire alarm is because your first move should be to pull the fire yes, alarm. Pull the fire alarm. And then get out of there. Uh, so anyway. The Jason Bourne of library right. invasion. Jason, That's Jason me. Bourne, Jason Bourne goes to pay his library fine. That's uh, <laughs> Rebecca. I'm anxious. To, we're going to have to have follow-up about this. We'll I didn't realize this was like such a saga, but apparently it, it is. is. Well, you know how these things go. Uh, okay. Oh, so, you know, by the way, um, speaking of uh, extracurricular activities, uh, I hope a lot of you enjoyed our interview with N.K. Jemison, which is in the feed or, you know, the, last week. Um, and if you like that, didn't like it, got feedback for us, uh, please do give us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, book I think it, it was pretty much what we were hoping for. I mean, to be honest with you, I yeah. think that's kind of what we thought it would be like. And um, she, she was great for us. She and was She was wonderful. great to us about it. Um, I thought it was really interesting myself. But if that's the thing you'd like to see more of, do you want it to be shorter, longer, got ideas for topics or guests or whatever feedback, um, we certainly want to make something uh, that you guys would like. And if you don't aren't interested in it at all, then we don't want to make that either. Um, so let us know about that. Maybe we can dream about getting Michael Jordan on. <sighs> well, I'm just saying Dan Brown. I mean, I do we, want have a reason, we, we have a reason to email him. Talk to us about uh, Danish Dan libraries. Uh, I do want everyone to know we tried to get Andrew Luck. <laughs> yeah, we did. We tried to get Andrew Luck. We, but we didn't have any. He's too fancy for yeah. us. Uh, so let's go best-selling books. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do go to that. So Amazon announced the twenty best-selling books of twenty sixteen mm-hmm. so far, and this is not necessarily best-selling new books. It's just the best-selling titles period of the year. Yep. Um, have you looked at this? I have. Okay, so uh, we can't, we can't do the play surprise the game. game. Um, uh, number one, Harry it, Potter and the Cursed Child. Yeah, which isn't even out yet. Not even out yet. It's coming out. That's what in, is it August? Uh, July 31st. Okay. So functionally August. Harry Potter's birthday, supposedly. That's <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the play that um, is based on an original story that was written by J.K. Rowling. But yeah, the I got a question about Jack this. I, did, I never looked at the, the, the cover like this, but it's by John Tiffany and Jack Thorne. Yeah, this is the special... They get special... the credit. Special rehearsal edition yeah. script for the play. So I guess J.K. Rowling wrote the story, yep. but then John Tiffany and Jack Thorne, you know, also contributed to the story, and Jack Thorne wrote this play. I now want to know the royalty situation for this book. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, anyway, that's that's what struck me as much as anything. Like, all their names on it says, it, it is one of the more confusing. It says, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, parts one and two, and then there's the image, which is of a... It looks like the match girl in a, a winged mm-hmm. nest. I, I mean, that's what it is. Um, based on original news story by J.K. Rowling in big title. And then underneath it says John Tiffany and Jack Thorne. So it's not clear what they're are they like also. Like the story was by J.K. Rowling, John Tiffany, and Jack Thorne. Thorne or, yeah. And then under that says a new play by Jack Thorne. So anyway, it's a it's a Gordian knot of uh, authorship. But anyway, that's a separate um, and minor and perhaps uh, obsessive 
point. And then um, <laughs> perhaps, per- perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the one the one time I don't need to equivocate. I did the uh, the second pick here is a book that's been out for nine years. Yep. This version of it has been out for nine years. Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath. One of those like classic corporations buy yeah. this book and tell everyone to read it because it's going to overhaul their management skills mm-hmm. magically. I'm pretty sure that I had to read this about 10 years ago. Um, that's the only explanation that I have for a nine-year-old like business self-help book being the, the second highest Best-selling yeah, title it must of the be, years. It's it must like be every in there, corporation. Just that enough cor- enough corporations make it as part of their orientation pack or on their retreat. So, you know, their their team building retreats. Mm-hmm. You know, right after they've trust falled all over or each like, other. Right, they got to read these books. Somebody goes to a conference about yeah. leadership stuff where someone recommends it, and then they all go back and tell their companies that everyone's going to read it. And so, you know, like everybody's got an unread copy somewhere. We probably have three unread copies of it in my house right now. <laughs> I've never <laughs> read it. Maybe I should just for uh, just for uh, background. You, I mean, I you should probably include it in the Busman's MBA. Yeah. If for if for no other reason than just to, because just it's the second best selling book of the year and toss it's the around one. the business jargon. Yeah. Oh, the places you'll go. Number three by Dr. Seuss. Um, this won't last for the year. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I don't remember why we were talking about this, but I made I I, I, I told him this thing that happens with other oh, places you'll go mm-hmm. that are, by June it is the best selling book to that point, and then the rest of the year it sort of falls back in the pack because it gets it's gets given for graduations. Like it's become sort of like the. I don't. I don't it's, even know what. It, I think it's like no one else is even trying to write a book that could be given as a graduation yeah. gift because this is just so firmly established. It, what's so interesting too is it was the last book that Seuss wrote. Um, I don't know if you know this, and, and it's only 1990. Like it's not been around forever, so it's a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah. Like in our lifetime, that people give this to 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 graduates. And in, in lieu of, I guess, knowing what other book to get. It's not even particularly about graduation. It's just like you're going to go out into the world. Life is interesting. And yeah. Do things. But it's also, I'm kind of, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because humans are predictable, but I'm kind of surprised that this continues to happen every year when now we're to the point where it's like, well, of course, the graduate is going to have 17 copies of all the, the places, places you'll, you'll go. go. Right. It's like giving a new parent goodbye or goodnight mood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess that's good. Right. Yeah. It's something you would kind of it's like, or like um, giving a newly newlyweds a blender. This is the right. blender of graduation gifts. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, you know, not bad, but also, I wouldn't but say like, tremendously imaginative but or personal also, necessarily. like, what 18-year-old is actually going to sit down and have a... a 22, yeah. I, an I'm, earnest moment right, with have Dr. A, have Seuss. Have a uh, moment of uh, extreme emotion reflected in tranquility, romantic moment of, oh, the places you'll go. I, right. Life, I'm, very, I'm um, embarking on a journey to, you know, parties yeah, and right. rush week. Or an or, uh, internship <laughs> at uh, GE. Or having to pay my own bills. Right. Yeah, there, and there's a copy of your student loan statement tucked in the cover. Right. Oh, the places oh, you'll go. Yeah. And then it's oh, like, the places so you'll do, go like, to make sure you have health insurance. That's all oh, the things you'll do. That's what it should be called. Right. Oh, the things we should do, do like a dark version yeah. of oh, the places right. you'll go. That, that's, yeah. Speaking that's of, like, speaking of know, dark versions, there was a dark version of number four. Um, which with the number four on the list is the life-changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo. Um, there's a dark version of well, there's several. Well, there's actually, so there's a cottage many. industry of dark, dark versions of this. No, um, yeah. This is also. I mean, also, I think one of the stories of this top twenty list is the backlist. Yes, um, these are yeah, a lot of these are backlist. Most of these are not new books. Number um, five is the first hundred words by Roger Pretty, which we happen to have a copy of. It's a it's a board book. Um, 
that's basically just pictures of things with the words into them for babies, you know, toddlers and uh, yep. wobblers, as they say. Number number six, <laughs> when breath becomes air by Paul Kalanithi, which is, I say the phenomenon, this is so far the phenomenon of 2016. Um, I was still surprised it was this high up the well, list, I, though. I'm, I'm, I, I get Publishers Weekly and I look at the best selling, so I'm not surprised because I see it's, yeah. it's still like in the top five but, for hardcover nonfiction. Yeah, month after uh, week after week. I cry week. just looking at the cover. I can't, we talked. We can't do this. I can't. I um, bought it like thinking that I would be brave, but that's as brave as I can get. Yeah. So that that's I'd say that one is the phenomenon of this year. Um, that's out. I mean, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is like it's that's beyond publishing. That's a cultural phenomenon. But within the world of books and reading, mm-hmm. um, that when breath becomes air is the book so far of the year. And love languages and number seven. God, give me talk a about a book that's been out forever. This is the thing. Like, yeah. if every business in America is reading Strengths Finder, every church in America is reading the Five Love Languages. Yeah, it is. And then the next one's our first cookbook, The Whole Thirty: The Thirty Guide to Total Health and Food Freedom by Melissa and Dallas Hartwig. Yeah, it's a cookbook. I don't know if there's anything else about it. Um, That's one that I think will be off the list by the second half of the year. Like yeah. so many people do the whole thirty in January. Oh, interesting. That's a good point. I, I didn't know. You that know, was you a come thing. off your holiday. Yeah, that's a thing. I'm pleased for you that you haven't fallen into that corner of the internet. Um, New yeah, Year's resolutions off, aren't really my thing. Uh, yeah, honest, you come off so. your uh, you come off your binge through the holidays of all the delicious foods, and then no. you do the whole thirty. I read the website for the whole thirty once, and that was sufficiently terrifying to me. That I was see. Like, you know what? No, you have to go thirty days without um, bourbon. So no. Number um, nine. Number nine. I would look, I would read a whole book about this book. I've read the book, but like that, it's a phenomenon. It's how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Uh, which I adore, I have to say. Uh, I'm not alone. And in fact, uh, Susie... Uh, Rodarm. I, I, yeah, Rodarm. I, I can't remember. I don't remember. Her Twitter handle wrote a nice, a really great piece um, that I somewhat encouraged her to write when she was thinking about it, about um, how this book can help people on the spectrum. But it's it's about interpersonal relationships, really written in 1936. And it's it's been in print for 75 years. And it's always in the top 20 best-selling books of the year. Like this is also one I think that a lot of business people get, but I think it's also one that people just pick up organically like I did. And it's a word of mouth sort of thing. It's very down to earth. It's, it has a sort of, it's the language is dated, which actually makes it sort of more timeless, weirdly. Like it's not caught up in jargon of today. Um, I think it's super interesting, but that it's this popular for this long, no matter how much I like, it doesn't explain. I mean, it just, it became like the other place we'll go. Like it just became sort of a, Almost, almost like a, a group meme of books you should read, and it just doesn't mm. go away. It's kind of one of those, uh, like, how to be a human books. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, number 10, adult coloring books. A coloring well, book for adults featuring mandalas and henna-inspired flowers, animals, and paisley patterns. I don't know why this particular coloring book is so popular. My sense is maybe it's SEO. <laughs> it's yep. called adult coloring books. <laughs> I think they might be, and especially this is Amazon, like people are Googling adult coloring right. books. This one comes up and it looks fine. And so they buy it. And so, they're like, uh, sure, why not? Yep. Anyway, so that's 10. Um, so let's, we don't have to go through the whole list. Anything else in the the, the numbers 10 you, through well, 20 that jump out yeah, at you? Yeah, I think... Uh, 12, I was personally excited about. It's Chrissy Teigen's cookbook, Cravings. Uh, um, I really like her. She's, and I think she's smart and interesting and fun on Twitter. Um, 
Harper Lee, of course, holding yep. down a spot at number 14 with To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is at number right. 15. That's one of those perennial bestsellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Very Hungry Caterpillar that, uh, is at 16. That's also perennial. Um, something about a smoothie cleanse. I feel yeah. healthier just looking at the cover. Um, and then there's another adult coloring book further down. And I was just about to say that like, we haven't really seen, other than Harry Potter and the Cursed yep. Child being at number one, like... There's not like a giant fiction phenomenon of the year, but maybe the closest we're going to get this year, at least before all the big fall books come out, Me Before You by Jojo Moyes is number 20. Right. Um, And that's been big for... Yeah, been big for a while. The movie's out or it's coming out. Um, So that's like that's really the only big fiction title aside from To Kill a Mockingbird that's on this list. Um, This top 20 list is dominated by nonfiction. Nonfiction. Kids. I mean, it's a combination business, kids, cooking. You know, those are the things that we forget. And this show doesn't really talk. We get into nonfiction, but we don't talk about cooking books. We talk about business books a little bit, but we we sort of trend more towards, I don't know, productivity, mm-hmm. self-improvement than sort of the, the standard issue. I mean, I've read both. I've read all the, the books that are on, the business ones, except for the Strength Finder. I'm going to pick that up at Pals. I'll find a, <laughs> I'll find a version of that. Uh, anyway, so interesting, interesting there um, to see what's going on. Uh, let's go. Speak, uh, Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. No sponsor. Sponsors. Let sponsor. me tell you about our second sponsor this yeah. week. Uh, it's the Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman. Uh, one thing any librarian will tell you: the truth is much stranger than fiction. Uh, this is a novel about a woman named Irene who is an undercover librarian. She's yes. a professional spy for the mysterious library with a capital L. It's a shadowy organization that collects important works of fiction from all of the different realities. Most recently, she and her enigmatic assistant Kai have been sent to an alternative. London. Their mission is to retrieve a particularly dangerous book, but by the time they arrive, it's already been stolen. Now Irene is caught in a puzzling web of deadly danger, conflicting clues, and sinister secret societies. Fairy tales are very important to the library. Uh, so if you're into, you know, fairy tales weaving their way into contemporary fiction, you want to pick this up. Um, and the library is collecting very specific copies of books through time and other worlds. Um, fans of the series are also fans of Doctor Who. Um, I am so excited about this. You were telling me that you had heard about this title. Um, you've been looking at it before they sponsor the show. This is the first that I'm hearing about it. And now I like I need to read this yesterday. Like mm. it, like a professional spy from a shadowy library organization and it's alternate realities. And one of them is London. Like this is all the this is all the things um, I'm very excited about it. Uh, so if this sounds good to you and if you're listening to this show, I kind of don't know how it wouldn't sound good to you. Right. Uh, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes or you can find it wherever books are sold. Again, it's called The Invisible Library. It's by Genevieve Cogman, C-O-G-M-A-N. And I've got to say, I sold that spot. Because I read ah. the title and I read about it, and I was like, "This is perfect for us." And uh, I'm going to read this this summer too. And it's and it's going to, uh, in all fairness uh, to O'Neill's Razor and other people who follow, it's going it's part of a series. And the other ones mm-hmm. are done. It got published in the UK first, and it's coming out. Uh, it's coming out this okay. way, and they're going to come out. I think every six months or so. Um, so I'm hey, excited to take that. To, speaking to of to, O'Neill's Razor uh, and book series and summer reading, how have you started the summer no, I, of Ferrante? I well, there's some stuff going at work. I've been completely slammed, uh, so mm-hmm. I haven't got there. But I, 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 I've got the. I'm going to New York next week. I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy all three in paperback, and maybe make a make a appointment at the spa. That's what I'm thinking, mm. sort of as a reward for not dying. 
Um, this sounds excellent. Yeah. Or at the least, I will think about doing that and read them <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night when I can't sleep. The um, pleasure of anticipating a spa visit is almost as good as actually yeah, I don't going. Like, I mean, I don't I go to the sauna. I, I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know if this, these are terms of art that if I'm misrepresenting, but I like that. The steam room, the, the hot dry room and then the cold shower thing that the, that the, mm-hmm. the Swedes, the, the Swedes like to do. Um, okay. So Barnes and Noble, um, they released two interesting pieces of news. Well, one's an, one was an essay and then actual hard news from their fiscal results is you know, every year we do this, what's the state of Barnes & Noble? You know, where, where are we with Barnes & Noble? Yep. Are they okay? Are they going to go to business? Um, their, fiscal, their 2015 fiscal results came out yesterday. The day before, uh, Alex Shepard published a piece um, in the New Republic Online talking about like kind of worrying, speculating, uh, explaining all, altogether the centrality Spe-splaining? of – Spec explaining? Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, expeculating. Uh, the <laughs> – the importance of Barnes and Noble to the existing U.S. primarily book world, and what would happen to the U.S. book world if Barnes and Noble, like tomorrow, pulled the borders? Right, it's gone, gone completely. Um, you know, it's certainly it would be reshaped as we know it. I mean, some of the more interesting stats we could hang our hat on for imagining is that some publishers do as much of thirty percent of their business is from Barnes and Noble. It doesn't say which publishers. I don't know if that's Big Five. I don't know if it's like cookbooks or calendars, like real physical mm. things that people sort of pick up on a whim, we can imagine. But there's some publishers out there that do a serious amount of their business. And we know, I mean, you go in there and there's big five, big titles all over Barnes and Nobles. And it's still a monster. Um, revenue in fiscal 2016. So that's, you know, the the fiscal years are weird. It was, I mean, they do $4.16 billion in revenue. It's a huge company. Um, they Just as an example, PRH, which is the largest North American trade publisher, um, they did $3.7 billion in revenue. So they're bigger than PRH in terms of sales, uh, Barnes & Holy Noble. Holy um, That's down from $4.3 billion a year ago. So it's down $150 million, which mm-hmm. is not great. I mean, that's not what you want to do as a public company especially, but it's not, they're not down – they're not getting kneecapped by like 20% declines um, necessarily. And the real millstone around their neck is Nook. Um, mm-hmm. Nook is just a disaster. Um, total revenue fell almost 20%. Um, and it, it's and lost $64 million. <sighs> Barnes & Noble as a whole, um, and there's this term of art of accounting, E-B-I-T-D-A, which I only know because we've had to do some of it ourselves, which is earnings before taxes, uh, interest, depreciation, and amortization. They actually came out ahead um, to – $215 million mm-hmm. earnings before uh, EBITDA. So they're not they're not really in danger of going out of business. Yeah, but, sky's it, not falling. And if they got rid of if I don't know at what point you just kill Nook, it's going total is down another 28%. The losses shrank. Uh, last year it lost $84 million. So but still it, it's still it's, ugh. I've spent more time than I should admit wondering how much of the continued existence of Nook is just sunk cost fallacy at work. Um, yeah, I don't you know. know. Are they just and so the, afraid that if they just jettison it, that they're going to get hammered? I don't know. I don't know. If you're, but if your lifeboat is on fire, just cut right. off the lifeboat. It's not doing you any good. Um, yeah. Anyway, so and so I. I don't know that they're in danger. It it feels to me like the worst is behind them right now. And if they could get rid of Nook 
And, you know, they're doing some things like they're closing their pension funds. They took some charges from that. Close some of the underperforming stores. You could be on a trend where, again, it's not a, it's not a, st- a company I'm going to put money in myself to buy a stock of, but it's not going to go out of business, it doesn't seem to me. Um, the other news, the related news I put, meant to put in here, and I don't think I mentioned on the show last week, Amazon announced the location of its third bricks-and-mortar physical bookstore, mm. Portland, Oregon. Ah, uh, that's be, a gauntlet thrown. That's a gauntlet thrown. Um, non surprisingly, I don't think because I was talking to someone at the um, the most recent uh, Read Harder book group about it here in Portland, and as as you might expect, it was a topic of most conversation among book lovers here. You know, we did that list of Amazon's list of the twenty most read cities according to buying stuff from Amazon, and Portland was number mm-hmm. three. So it may not be so much a gauntlet as pals as we have a lot of people in Portland that buy Amazon stuff. Let's give them a bookstore. And it's going to be out in the suburbs. I think from what I can tell of their strategies and the one they open in La Jolla, I guess, is suburb of San Diego is my understanding, that they're kind of going into those retail strip mall, upscale strip mall sort of situations. So they're kind of going in Barnes & Noble's home turf. Mm-hmm. And the, the the best explanation of what Amazon Books is doing that I've heard it, or that I, that I can get my head around is that they're going after Barnes & Noble. They see Barnes & Noble weakness, like, hey, we could put up bookstores in these places and maybe we can sort of be the final nail or we can accelerate Barnes & Noble's decline or precipitate its decline or really try to give it some body blows there. So anyway, that's where the state of Barnes & Noble is. Um, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad if it goes out of business, to be honest. I, I, you, we've talked multiple times of our own personal um, affinity and affection for Barnes & Noble. Um, so I don't know if that clouds my judgment. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if total book sales go down if Barnes & Noble – goes out of business or they just get redistributed to other locations. Um, I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think if Barnes and Noble you know, went belly up? What, what, what do you, what do you think happens? You know, I think this is a nice segue to this new Republic piece that you've got on our agenda yeah. as well. I think, you know, I personally feel very sad about the loss of Barnes and Noble, if that's a thing that happens. And you and I have talked like several times over the years that we've done this show about the distinction between what's good for publishing and what's good for readers. Um, but I think it's bad for readers if Barnes and Noble, were to go out of business first, Mm -hmm. because there are many places where Barnes and Noble is the only bookstore uh, or where a chain option is the only option for readers um, where, you know, an indie is not a choice. And if they don't have a Barnes and Noble to go walk around and they don't have somewhere to go walk around in uh, to, you know, see what's new to discover new books, there is something really pleasurable about walking through a bookstore and picking things up and looking at titles and nobody has succeeded in replicating that browsing experience online. So like, that's a loss for readers. I think if there's not a good place to go browse. Mm-hmm. Uh, this piece by Alex Shepard in the New Republic mentions also that uh, showrooming, which is a thing that drives booksellers nuts, yep. you know, like people walking around in store, taking pictures and building their lists and then going home and ordering the book. But showrooming is a function that brick and mortar bookstores serve. Yeah. And those sales might not end up going to Barnes and Noble or to the Indie where the person walked around, but they do eventually become book sales that support publishers in mm-hmm. some fashion. And so the the potential loss of the showrooming potential, the potential loss of showrooming. I mean, this is all, I mean, it's all, I mean, so it's all today. subsets of um, the mere exposure effect, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, 
And this piece also mentions that, you know, if you're a big name like Malcolm Gladwell or James Patterson, you'll probably be fine if Barnes and Noble ceases to exist because you'll still get like you'll still have NPR, you'll still have Amazon, you'll still have airport bookstores, libraries like your name is still going to be everywhere. And ditto um, in the speculation in this piece uh, says ditto for romance and sci-fi and manga and commercial fiction, right. like anything with a devoted audience. Reader's going to read. Also, Reader's going right, to read, they, yeah. Especially genre, devoted genre audiences have already gravitated to Amazon and to low price ebooks. But he says Barnes and Noble here is essential to publishers of literary fiction, the so called serious works that get nominated for Pulitzers and National Book Awards. And without the initial orders that Barnes and Noble places mm. and the visibility its shelves provide, some breakout hits by relative unknowns like Anthony Doerr with All the Light We Cannot See um, or Emily St. John Mandel with Station Eleven would suffer. And I do think that's a, that's a big thing. It's a thing that we've talked about a little, but publishing doesn't talk about a, a ton, is really how influential Barnes & Noble is in the publishing process of a book. There are um, cases where like, the cover of a book right. has been decided by a woman named Cecily Hensley, who's a head buyer for Barnes & Noble. And if they're on the fence about doing a big buy for a title or whether something is going to be featured on Discover Great New Writers or one of these things, if she doesn't like the cover and doesn't think that Barnes & Noble will sell a lot of them, then publishers will change the cover to satisfy her and to satisfy Barnes & Noble. Um, and there's there are more than you know one instance of that occurring um, when you've got as many stores as Barnes and Noble has. If you're ordering even ten copies into every store as an initial buy, that's the kind of thing that really affects a first print run. And then that's opportunities that readers e either have or don't have to discover the book, to pick it up, to recommend it to their friends, and to start that like that stream of you know word of mouth that is what publishers are hoping will happen. Yeah, start it or to finish it. Like you know the the Sometimes you talk about the last click. We, in digital mm -hmm. advertising, we talk about last click attribution like it's really hard to know. I almost think that Barnes & Noble is so important because it's also the last reach, right? It's that, mm -hmm. you know, going from someone having heard someone talk about a book to like seeing it on a shelf and picking it up, right? That, yeah. is, that part is so hard. Like it's one thing like I think the one thing that would happen with Barnes & Noble is that the publishing industry might even become even more hit-driven than it already is because only those titles that get talked about all whole bunch of different places get turned into movies will be you know will be have enough juice behind them for individual more casual book buyers to actually go to Amazon search for the title and put it in their cart and buy it whereas at Barnes and Noble or any physical bookstore really you sort of have you know if you're in there you're sort of ambiently looking for books and you're looking for something for your attention to latch onto could be a cover could be a name you know could be a book someone's told you about but that sort of that the availability um, bias of of what you're going to buy really matters in those sorts of situations. Is that I don't think we've yet replicated that online. We've talked about this no. before. This sort of the the experience of browsing a bookstore, um, and it's not because it's physical. It's more about you know sort of the the dynamics of the space and what your attention is doing. It's very difficult when, to replicate in an online environment. And I think, you know, typically online shopping is pretty intentional. Like yeah. you might not necessarily know what you want to buy, but you know that you want to buy something. Uh, so you go to Mod Cloth to look for a dress mm -hmm. or you go to Amazon to look either for the specific book that you want or to see what they've got that's new. But it, the browsing is really much more difficult. And just anecdotally from my time as a Barnes & Noble bookseller, um, if a book is going to be on NPR and the publisher knows and they communicate it to corporate, then corporate makes sure that all the stores have copies yep. of that book. 
so that people can do that exact thing that you're talking about and want they can just be wandering in like they have intentionally put themselves in a store because they want to find a book and they're browsing around and you can hear the conversations of like people you know talking to whoever yeah, they're shopping with. Yeah, you've been a with. Barnes Noble bookseller before, so you have more right. Yeah, and like you can, I remember you know, like standing at the info desk and hearing people be like you know whispering to their friends that they were shopping with or their partners or whoever like oh that's that one I heard about on NPR last week or they very frequently people would come up and be like. There, I saw this author on the Today Show and the book is blue. And you're like, yes, I know that book. Here it is. We knew it was going to be on the Today Show. And so we have copies of it for you. Um, but that's a very intentional part of the loop there is um, things have already gotten buzz and Barnes and Noble has enough space that they can you know, pay attention to what is getting lots of buzz and try to have as many of those available as possible, which is a challenge for smaller indies, at least. You know, if you're an independent bookstore, you're not on the receiving end of that same kind of information, like that telephone game about what's going to be on NPR um, doesn't reach small independent bookstores as readily in advance, at least as it reaches uh, Barnes and Noble. So they're kind of playing behind the eight ball of either like having to guess about what's going to be big um, or waiting until a thing is featured and then ordering in copies, which makes it a little harder to capture those people in store who heard about the thing this morning um, and really want the book. Well, and we, and I don't again, it's been a million years, but we talked about someone said there was a study or Amazon said this or someone, I, I can't, again, that's, that's my attribution is that someone said it. I, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, just call me uh, uh, Carl Bernstein. Um, just do some jazz hands uh, while you say it. But that half of the search, half of the books bought on Amazon were specific to that title. Like they're actually mm-hmm. looking for that title. I'd love to know, and I don't know how you would know this, if a similar what, – what the, a similar stat is for people who physically enter a Barnes & Noble store. Um, what mm. percentage of the books they actually bought did they come with the express purpose of buying? Because a lot of times it's, – it's rare that I go into Barnes & Noble now myself to buy something specifically. If I have something specifically, I buy it somewhere else. What I go into Barnes & Noble for is sort of the experience of being in there. I yeah. wonder, I wonder if, if you could drop the baggage of Nook – I don't know. It feels like there might be an opportunity if like a new company wanted to start a bookstore chain. Like mm-hmm. it, it still feels like that's the thing, but like it, Barnes and Noble, you go in there and it's a lot of toys and games, which is totally fine. There's, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, but it almost feels like there could be a way to reimagine, you know, there's room there. People are still buying books. You could find this yeah. place or maybe VR. I mean, I, that sounds dumb, but I, people are talking about VR. I mean, I wonder if that's a place where bookstores could get involved, like a VR experience of browsing a bookstore. I don't huh. know. Be crazy. Um, all right. Let's... That would be. Now I'm thinking about that. Like you could browse a virtual yeah. bookstore and s- see what's there yeah. and pick up things and look at them and then like click a thing to your digital yeah. shopping. It basket. sounds like something like Waterstones would do, right? In the UK, they always do these RFIDs and all these. Like they've yeah, done some yeah. of the more um, cutting edge stuff in bookstores, like the main or foil. And I think it's I think it's Waterstones where they had RFID tags on all the books. So mm-hmm. that if you go at a kiosk or ask someone and they can, they'll give you the RFID number and you put it in your phone or something crazy like that. <laughs> anyway, um, that might be something. It would be cool if like, man, that would be actually awesome if like independent bookstores were all like available to browse via VR. That would be awesome. Anyway. Virtual bookstore tourism. Virtual bookstore tourism. Yeah. VR is the future of everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I had one today. Um, <laughs> now you're done almost, for the uh, day and it's only 10 a.m. Yeah, your time. It up, you, you can, it you're finished. Um, let's see. You okay, wanna... and let's finish here because we're running out of time and we can save this um, uh, this other study. But this was uh, probably the biggest book news of the week, frankly. We're mm-hmm. saving it for the end. Is that U.S. Um, book buyers 
are starting to get settlements that came out of the Apple Big Five, I guess, price fixing, ebook yeah. price fixing mm-hmm. case. Um, Collusion. I got my customers receive $6.93 credit for every New York Times bestseller they purchased and $1.57 for <laughs> every other ebook. Uh, in refunds as part of the $400 million compensation owed to customers um, involving the conclusion of the ebook price fixing case involving Apple and the U.S. Department of Justice. Um, retailers Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Apple will email customers who have accounts and offer them the credits starting June 21st, a couple of days ago. I already got mine from Amazon. I got 26 bucks. Nice. I'm in there. I mean, if you bought some bestsellers, like at $6.93, you could uh-huh. be looking at some cash money. There are contributors on Slack where sort of uh, I'll show you mine if you show me yours with this. And one of our contributors had like 165 bucks. Yeah, there was a lot credit. of there have been a lot of good tweets, and I think there might yeah. actually be a post on Book Riot next week of like if you got credits, here are some oh, of yeah. the books that we love that are at low prices on uh, all of these retailers, so you can buy as many yeah. of them as you want go, with go, your credits. Go snap them up. Um, it doesn't have to be spent on books. That's uh, nice. It's which is interesting, and and I don't know. I don't exactly know how the the money is coming from Apple. So if you buy from Amazon, it's getting recirculated back into the – like be, <laughs> Random House was part of the price fixing. But if I go buy uh, Me Before You, right, just to pick a title, mm-hmm. which is a Penguin title, they'll then get the money as a result of the settlement that they were part of? Do I have that right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> kind of weird, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the money trail will end up being. Yeah, because this comes. My understanding is this coming out. This is 400 million dollars from you know uh, one infinite loop in Cupertino. Like, this is right. Apple corporate that had to pay this, uh, and yet so it looks like the publishers might come out smelling <laughs> like roses. Uh, on the other hand, they basically got Apple to fix prices for them, and then have to spend their DOJ settlement on books. <laughs> weird it is weird that's weird this is one of the more opaque publishing things yeah right um credits will expire after a year if they're not spent so get on that um let's see paid to customers along with 50 million dollars in legal fees and legal costs yeah yep 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 oh publishers settled their cases and paid 166 million dollars in settlement funds to consumer in 2014 so they've already paid their part um they had to pay some out but they're gonna get some of it back we should do some kind of like who is the Book Riot reader with the highest Amazon oh, credits? Yes, email us. Yeah, let Go us know. Lie. The honor system. Yeah, here. we'll give us the honor system. Uh, if you happen to be the one with the most Amazon credits, you know what? Actually, I want to see a screenshot. Of, oh yes, yeah, screen cap. Yeah, screen cap, screen cap your email. Photoshop or your Amazon account. We'll trust you not to Photoshop it uh, of of the credits that you got. And if you You are the Photoshop a screen cap to win this competition, (laughs) do nothing. I gotta say, you know, go volunteer. uh, (laughs) Find just find something to do because really, I'm worried about you. Yeah, yeah. I I, I'm curious now because we've got some power book buyers. We do. We do. We do have some power book. I would guess that someone in romance probably. Mm. Well, but see, the bestseller thing, you get a multiple for bestsellers. So yes. I don't know. Um, if you read a lot of bestsellers on your Kindle, you're going to be, you're, uh-huh. you're going to come out ahead. On, you're if you're a be, big book clubber and oh, you're reading on yes. your Kindle. Yeah. yeah excellent point. Uh, that's, I, I want to, I just want to know now I have, I do most of my ebook buying through Kobo and I haven't checked yet. So yeah. um, I, I don't know. know you're, what yeah. Be. 
those will come out, they'll trickle out. I just opened up today. So, and there was some confusion about it. So check your account with Amazon before you spend it. We had some confusion too mm-hmm. about what, when it's, what it qualifies for. You can buy anything on the sites. It doesn't have to be books. I should yeah. say that as well. All right. That's our show. Thank you so much for Cas- just Casper for sponsoring the show. Casper.com slash riot. Use offer code riot to get $50 off. Also let them know you came from us so they can come back and spend more money on us to give us a chance to talk about mattresses and the invisible library. Go check them out. Available wherever books are sold now. Um, I think it'd be a fun summer read if you like a little fantasy, like books about books. Um, Genevieve Cogman, check them out as well. Uh, we'll be back next week. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> 